0: Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete.
1: Let's do what we've spent our entire careers learning to be great at. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for part four, no-win scenario, comes to you now via Resigo.
0: Pete, uh, before we dive on into this story universe, I have to take a minute to reflect on yesterday's very fun podcast on the colossal episode of The Mandalorian uh, from this week. That's your chapter 18. And uh, just had mythology. It had uh, great storytelling, great effects. And uh, maybe it was only bested by this episode of Picard for the week.
1: Myth made fact. Uh, And only increasing moving forward. So get yourself over to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek feed for that. But back into the shrinking Star Trek universe, Matt. We discussed the uh, unfortunate announcement that the fifth season of uh, Star Trek Discovery will be its final season, uh, Monday on the discovery podcast feed by fantastic geek uh but more to that sonequa martin green was caught by entertainment tonight at an award show to honor uh discovery uh costumer gersha phillips who should have received an oscar nomination for the woman king but did not sadly um and Uh, First comments other than, you know, the statement, I'm sure, carefully crafted uh, through the Paramount uh, PR people. Um, But this a little bit more unfiltered. She says it's been a roller coaster of emotions and uh, she hasn't even spoken about it. Excuse me, publicly, because it's a lot to process uh overwhelmed with gratitude gratitude and peace and quite excited uh the real meat of this though we have a little bit more to do there's more to be done before it's time to release season five to everyone Uh, But she's overwhelmed. Uh, They're sending all these messages of love and nostalgic texts back and forth to each other because it's a lot. It's a lot to feel right now. And again, very grateful. So that telling aspect there, uh, and we discuss in length in that podcast, um, the idea that they're going to shoot more. It remains how much uh, to be seen. But. Little bit more to do. Uh, we're back to uh, mission Star Trek, Matt. Lower those expectations.
0: Yeah, it the, the 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 subtext of her quote there really proof that this cancellation was a blindside. For as much as the you know Paramount Plus PR release that got retyped as Hollywood Reporter and Deadline articles. Talking about how they are still filming and so forth, and you know how how that was a lie. How yes, they're going to go back and film a new ending to a season that did not um, have a series ending to it. Um, And indeed, the fact that here it is several days after the announcement, uh, and she still is kind of doesn't fully have the words to share her disappointment. Proof that this was not. As the Paramount Plus PR people would have you believe, this, you know, previously timed, uh, you know, plan and and things of that sort. So, you know, any show's cancellation, uh, any show that you love, it's it's tough to lose it. Certainly under these circumstances. I will say though, Pete, I kind of feel like this whole Star Trek show canceled too soon thing. Maybe there could be a Star Trek show with a second life. I don't know if there's, (laughs) if there's, uh, you know, kind of. History for that and so forth. Uh, Indeed, as we get ready to talk about ostensibly the the eighth season of TNG slash the fifth TNG movie here in this season of Picard.
1: Five years ago, in ten forward, with an Enterprise C model on the bar, a mob of Starfleet officers ask Admiral Picard. Questions. Poor guy here is just trying to eat, and uh, says he's not one for telling stories. uh, But they want to know all about the time that he wrote in his autobiography. He faced the Herogen. Talks about how Worf made a deadfall trap, and the alpha male, uh, you know, Herogen became instead the prey, Uh, the lesson here, there's gonna be a time when they need to remember uh, to remain steadfast in their dedication to one another, regardless of how bleak it may seem, Smash to the present day as he bleakly looks out the observation window as the Titan continues to plummet into the Nebula.
0: I love the inclusion of the Enterprise-C. That's my favorite Star Trek ship design ever. Uh, also, yes, he is kind of just trying to have his lunch, but there definitely is an air here of, you know, I'm not really one for stories. Oh, please, won't you? You know what? I will tell you a story after all. Sit down, everyone. It is story time.
1: So he's writing in a Starbucks, essentially.
0: Um. Yes, yes. And and there there's a, you know... The, There's a gleam in Picard's eye. I would also propose, Pete, something we've talked about before. Uh, All sorts of TV and movie stars get fans, you know, saying hello, asking for stories, autographs, selfies, and so forth all the time. Uh, I would argue that, you know, chief among all those fandoms, it's the Star Trek fandom where you can say, you know, where are these stories of, you know, I joined the Navy because of Commander Riker. I pursued a degree in medicine because of Dr. Crusher and, and and so forth, not just the TNG crew. There's stories like this where people, you know, it's like I really am just trying to get my latte at Starbucks. But that's when the umpteenth person comes up and I propose these actors are used to just hearing genuine stories of how their life was impacted. So I would propose here part of this performance here is Patrick Stewart also being reminded of all the times over the years that people have said you know, I was this, and then Star Trek, and now now I was that, and so forth. But indeed, from that, you know, work together, and you'll never be without hope. To the cut, we're there without hope. Uh, I, I see that contrast there. Well done. Uh, Riker notes that the shields can't take much more of this, and indeed, there's not much more power to supply to the overall situation. Uh, maybe that's a little too technical, so a classic uh discovery era writing tool tech 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 and then uh one of the crew people says the ship is bleeding to death so Mm -hmm. now you understand (laughs) um if they if they were able to get the engine started now there'd be a meltdown because they can't control the the resulting cascade effect uh and you know while they tumble end over end it's also hammered home they're sinking into a gravity well so bleeding to death sinking in a well uh problems here uh and it's noted that uh the ship can go with shields or engines but don't forget we also need power so for, for life support either way tick 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 set that story clock we have mere hours to go uh and Riker orders the crews to move to common areas as uh, some of those power compromises start to get figured out
1: yes uh lest they lose everything all together Uh, when this wave hits, so they've got to lower the shields in between, uh, Riker then goes to see Picard off that very tense scene in the previous episode where he damned him for killing them all. Um, but this is a courtesy visit because they've got four hours at most um, and Riker admits that Picard was right before about going on the offensive and not the defensive, um, and then tells the story about when he and Deanna Troy buried their son Thaddeus, watching the coffin go only six feet deep, but how dark it seemed, and all the traveling that he and Picard have done Throughout the universe, he's never seen any proof in an afterlife. And a little bit of a hand of the writer moment in this, but the result better than it, you know, might seem on the page, I think, that Deanna, who you know, of course, feels everything. That's our way of reminding the viewer that she is an empath. Um. She could not live with him feeling nothing. Hence him running to Picard and away from his problem. This is the end, my friend. Thank God we've got that scene now and not, I don't know, in episode 9 or 10, Matt.
0: I wonder if this scene is perhaps the finest acting moment of the storied career of Jonathan Frakes, the way he's able to be um authoritative in the beginning you know stopping picard's apology because a things need to be said rather quickly in the context of you know everybody's gonna be dead in four hours um but the poignant life lesson here um reflecting as he watched his son's coffin get lowered the kind of contrast of somberness to then uh, smiling about the journey across space and the adventures, then the smile fading for he was empty inside. I mean, it's just the whole, I don't want to say the whole episode's on his back in this scene, but, you know, we've seen a whole lot of Commander Riker as played by Jonathan Frakes. And look, I get it the TNG, every single episode was not always about roller coaster of emotions. Sometimes it was just, you know, beam down to a planet where people wear napkins and all that. But, I mean, my goodness, what a scene here. Um, and indeed, the takeaway one kind of repeated from earlier in this season, uh, Riker suggests that Picard get to know his own son and get his affairs in order and Riker apologizes yet again and walks as we get to the title card.
1: Seven of nine searches a uh, crew quarters and finds the body of transporter officer Ensign Foster who was killed um before uh Jack Crusher uh telling uh you know them they were looking for a changeling um so uh we see that this is then told to acting Captain Riker um who says they need to keep this quiet for morale uh seven protests initially but uh Riker says Uh, If the Changeling was on a mission to deliver Jack to Vatic, it's failed. Um, And that he could reinstate Seven, but her remaining in an unofficial capacity will work better to their advantage. Go get the bastard.
0: Pete, how typical that you would focus on things like plot events and character motivations and... Uh, a <laughs> reveals that somebody has been dead for a long time and now secret missions for Seven, who's, you know, so forth. And you stick over the fact that the late Ensign Foster had on his desk the stick and rod game that Tuvok used to play yes. and it's so vexed Harry Kim. I thought that was the really important thing here where you could say, look, <laughs> that's a thing from a show I used to watch. Um, Seven but...
1: watched that show before she joined it, too
0: indeed um but yeah great great use in the entire episode uh particularly here great use of kind of where 7 is and um you know just as i think this is just a a really phenomenal episode from top to bottom but here she is now working on the working on the fringes of the situation here uh in sick bay we get a quick check in with beverly who's counting energy pulses uh, each energy pulse comes and properly lights the set. um she's on something uh however Picard is there to talk to her indeed to more uh more so to talk with Jack, so she steps away. We go to Shaw's quarters where he's sharpening a knife I, I feel like that's I feel like you have you know buttheads eat an apple and then guys preparing for a comeback, sharpen knives metal yeah. Um, but he's not answering the hail at the door. Love the I love that just as you just as clearly I guess in Star Trek Convention, when you tell the computer door chime, come, the door opens, saying, you know, not come, then it you know, it, it won't and all of that. But who's there ultimately when he lets the door be open? It's seven, who tells him in private that there is a changeling. Uh indeed there's a human body that predates Crusher arriving. This is a larger problem going on here. Uh, and, of course, she's come to Shaw. Despite his uh, incapacitated situation here, he knows the ship better than anyone. So guess what, Pete? The guy who we were prepared to get thrown out in airlock in Episode 1, maybe he's on a redemptive arc uh, and he can still play a role in Star Trek Titan that we think is coming to Paramount Plus in 2025.
1: Or may have been coming until streamer slimmed down, but remains to be seen the changeling idea again the condition of the corpse noted okay now been dead since before they picked up dr crusher but not picard which happened sooner just want to point that out Riker in the Not ready room observation lounge has the computer references personal records and begin to record a message for Deanna Uh, in the event the ship is recovered, but he has a hard time and pauses and Pete has theories.
0: Uh, We also see an image of his reflection as shown in the table while the character is emotionally reflecting what synergy here between director and actor. It's almost (laughs) like they are of the same mind. They are Uh, in the holodeck. uh, Luckily, though we are trying to save on some special effects here a little bit, not a criticism, just a fact the camera starts inside the already running program. And then we get the, kind of, you know, program running, arch appears kind of thing. Got it, totally. We don't want to do a camera setup outside the the uh, holodeck and all that. Anyhow, Picard is running the uh, Los Angeles 10 forward, uh, which, you know, weirdly is a set that existed last season, too, so that works out well. Uh, he brings Jack here to have a drink. Uh, he's going to pour some Picard uh, wine, uh, but Picard says, uh, pardon me, uh, Jack says, no thanks, not a wine guy. Uh, how about some whiskey instead? Uh, Jack says he'll take the cheap stuff. Pete, I must admit, I'm not really a whiskey kind of guy, but I did notice uh, because the prominent label faced the camera later in the scene that, that he's pouring placement. Jameson. Um, <laughs> what's that? Product placement? Product placement, indeed. I, I feel like Jameson is Are we going to find a...
1: out that all of Star Trek is now uh, being made possible by this advertiser? <laughs>
0: uh, possibly. In the future, we, we all the, drink... Uh,
1: the the non-commercial um, level of Paramount Plus. So I gotta wonder, you know, were uh, commercial level uh, viewers bombarded by uh, hard drink advertisers for this episode?
0: Or maybe they do. Maybe like via special effects, they do alternate versions. If you have the commercial, uh, if you have the the commercial option, then they've 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 Learned done a, it. Out. Yeah, like, they they blurt it out, and if not, then it's like, you know, there's like the bonus scene where it's like, Jack, you know, he doesn't say, I want the cheap stuff, he says, I'd like the wonderful Jameson whiskey, bottled for 130 years. Uh, Anyhow, Pete, we are being pedantic, you know who else is being pedantic? Uh, Jack, who pedantically wonders why you can run a holodeck during a disaster, Uh, 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 the Vapors, Picard has a story answer, because, you know, this is all pretend, so i don't know it's a sanctuary tough times it has its own power thing it's basically saying whatever man we gotta have some like downtime to to talk and to have a place where people can come and convene more and more and more and we don't want to build a um you know ship's galley set or a ship's you know whatever 10 forward would be on the titan uh we already have a bar we're gonna do it in the holodeck chillax man it's not hurting the story um Listen. We know that
1: Terry Madellis and other producers have listened to our podcast because so often we'll point out a question that would have taken a line of dialogue, and that's it to explain. Like, hey, what? Well, if we need to defer to every ounce of power, why are we in the holodeck? You know, on Risa before we. Do- oh, oh, independent power cell sanctuary. All right, that's that's good writing. You just proofed your plot hole.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Pete, in an episode where everybody's going to die, okay, it's time for Jack to bring <laughs> up the elephant in the room. Dramatic pause. The Dying. hair. <laughs> <laughs> when did it go? Uh, Picard says, Well, Jack, you're 23, 24. And Jack sort of nods because I don't really buy that he's 23 or 24, but whatever. We Pete, we've fought in and lost. Years. <laughs> there you go um so picard says you know enjoy it while it lasts um i think he'd like to know more about jack's uh childhood and so forth where can jack begin um oh
1: hang on what... i'm gonna twist this uh cocktail
0: straw with oh three. yes uh is that so- a metaphor for his feelings pete <laughs> are they twisted up too
1: uh, I, again, good writing, the affectation here and the disclosure by the end of the episode. This is not the first time I've been to this really significant place. Um, but the story about a medical supply run that uh, Jack was making to metallus for a really vile place and uh, stuck in a cargo hold with an Andorian with a broken antenna that kind of uh, mutes out so that they are exchanging these stories. And we go back to the B story. You don't of,
0: think Pete uh, that this, you don't think the show wanted to stick with Jack talking about the, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna editorialize a little bit, but I think that me, I, here's what I suspect. Be. I generally suspect that when they were editing, they were like, "Oh, look, Jack is talking about how he took this, metal. Uh, pardon me, not metallic, muscular antenna throbbing in his hands and squoze it." And I think they were like, "You know what? We're just gonna phase uh, or fade the sound out, out it's here very because, sensitive. yeah, it's definitely a sensitive antenna well... muscle thing." Pete, take us to Sean Seven before things get weird.
1: Seven uh, has never encountered a changeling before, which is necessary story, uh, you know, uh, disclosure. Um, And Shaw says they're like walking, talking, Clay-Doh that can replicate people on site alone. Uh, And here the important plot point going forward, most of the time uh, they uh can get asked a question and the information that's going to come back uh you should know and if they were going to go through everybody on the crew they'd have to go through 500 people and ask them these questions shaw illustrating this when he says that uh he and commander hansen got off on the wrong foot she has great instinct she's a natural leader she's going to be a great captain Someday, which she immediately snuffs out is totally something he would say if he was a changeling. So she's starting to catch on. Um, He has the best things to say. Clearly, this is Terry Matalus giving his friend from uh, 12 Monkeys these great lines that uh, Seven needs to steal the changeling's pot. And Seven gets to dunk on this here with the alley oop. I assume you're not referring to cannabis. Um, And the explanation for her, because again, she's never seen a changeling because she was in the uh, Delta Quadrant on the way back. Um, They have a hard time retaining their form. There's a vase. It's a receptacle. Oh, here is this pad. And now I'm going to show you a photo of Rene Aubergenois Odo.
0: Yes, essentially, Shaw says, check the memory alpha on it. uh, And the takeaway, the mission, maybe not of the week, the mission of the the next several scenes find the pot, find the residue, and then you'll be able to scan for the baddie. Which uh, I have to admit, Pete, is a straightforward enough mission. And kudos that in a couple scenes, we're going to talk about how that is not what they're able to do because the plot improves upon. I mean, this is a perfectly uh, fine plan here but the plot kind of you know does more interesting things with it than directly do that we have a quick check-in with beverly who's now counting the energy light pulses in fact i like that we go from like seven go get the residue and scan for the baddie cut to beverly saying seven six five four three two one and so forth um can i just mention pete here we are okay we've got gotten great beverly scenes in the last three episodes character stuff she's played close to dead she's come back from the dead she's watched her son almost die there's been love reignited and the, the lost love and all of that stuff and here we are with a doctor crusher in the episode doing like basic medical stuff and also like hey men want to talk about emotions all right Jean-Luc I'll walk away like how far we've come since 1987 and like oh man Wesley needs a parent here Oh, <laughs> Beverly you go do doctor stuff some of the men will, will try and take care of him but I digress, Pete. Uh, Seven is back in the deceased officer's quarters. There's no pot, uh, except, look, it's hidden in a light alcove, which somebody on Memory Alpha really wants to be a visual callback to when there was something hidden in the light alcove in TOS. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a good hiding spot. It's a good Star Trek trick. It's also, like, a neat way to be like, that light is normal. That one is not. Da-da-da-da. Button found. Uh, pardon me. Bucket found. Goo in there, too couple scans away, bing, bang, boom, this will be no problem, I'm sure. The Shrike heads
1: out of the Knot Nebula, and Vatik, uh gets out of the captain's chair and goes over to a station where she cuts what seems like her left wrist, uh, and suddenly there is a gooey face that tells her to give her a report on some kind of Rebel changeling comm system. Uh, and she notes that unfortunately the Titan couldn't escape the gravity well. Uh, and she is told to pursue, but she says no to that order, that it's not possible because her ship's payload, the portal device, utilizes gravimetric distortion. It would be suicide, to which she is told by Gooface Boss suicide to refuse Uh, she will obtain and deliver the asset all else is expendable her ship her people even her so she will pursue uh at which point uh goo face boss collapses and uh the goo rejoins her left hand by some sort of looks like a brace like she's missing maybe her pinky and her ring finger uh and then she tells her crew to disengage the portal system before saying goodbye and laughing maniacally as she spins and the shrike spins back into the not nebula
0: i know terry mattelis has been on twitter since this episode came out kind of I, i don't i don't want to be um imposing you know him giving an attitude but it's kind of been like guys she's a changeling i don't tell you like in the episode there's changeling stuff she's a changeling she's a changeling like come on i don't know that it's clear from these four episodes that she is a changeling like all other changelings i mean fine i saw the whole hand cut off thing i also like like we've discussed in other episodes if they're all changelings on the ship fine but then why aren't they in goo form well again as we discussed in prior podcasts that would ruin the reveal that the you know, of the changeling threat got it, but can't most other changelings just be like, boom, oh, changeling my, my my thing there? Why is there the knife portion? Why does she have the marks on her face? I would propose, Pete, I know we're not quite in theories. I would propose that she's not acting like every other changeling that we've ever seen, and maybe there's more there to it. Like she's been punished to be in solid mode, or or whatever it is. I feel like there's part part B to come, particularly since. It is a it is painful to her to cut her hand off versus you know again I think there's questions that we're supposed to have but I would disagree with the wise Terry Madellis that like come on guys she's clearly a changeling move on to something else because I feel like I feel like there's more there. Um, regardless, we go back to five years ago. Picard is still going through those greatest uh, hits you see Pete if he hadn't Darmok and gelotted, then they would not have been successful don't give up on trying to communicate with one another keep talking um familiar hits right the cadet now is going to nervously ask about that cadet Jack Crusher adventure you know uh, Picard reflecting perhaps he was reckless back in his youth and Pete again effortless here in how we've gotten the herogen, um which i know the race is familiar i think that maybe the maybe they're referencing an unseen adventure clearly the Darmok and jalad stuff iconic yeah but, because
1: the question was how did the hirogen reach the alpha quadrant
0: to like
1: all right you beat it but how how did they get there
0: yeah but but again, it's kind of a mix of like, oh, there's kind of familiar stuff. And oh, you talked with Admiral Janeway. Okay, got it. It's kind of an unseen adventure with familiar pieces and familiar folks. Then this, you know, one of the most iconic, could you say, top four iconic TNG episodes? Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2, Inner Light, and then Darmok and Jalad, you know, debatable perhaps, but to go from this and then go, hey, what about the Cadet Jack Crusher adventure? hey, that's going to be important in the story later, and we're going to hear more about it in flashback later. Um, But Pete, take us back to the present-day hollow bar, not to be confused with the five years ago real bar.
1: Yeah, that now others want to enter again as this sanctuary, which Picard, of course, doesn't bar them. Um, And uh, Jack says that picard might think that he's making this moment better that he needs it but he doesn't he doesn't want to be harsh uh but picard notes these others are looking for connection um and that uh even if jack grew up mostly on his own with his mother um he doesn't need this, but maybe Picard does cut to Beverly again, counting down, and then seven in a corridor with the changeling bucket uh to biochemistry lab. That she needs the substance scanned immediately, but that's been shut down. Use your tricorder. Uh, no, she needs more of that. And a crewman suddenly. Uh, Kills another and is shooting at her, vaporizing the changeling bucket. Uh, She shoots back, knocks his arm off, which he then regrows and rushes her uh, before heading into the ship's superstructure here, contacting sickbay that uh, she needs help on deck five corridor eight because there is an officer dead. And Beverly says it's about to get a lot worse.
0: I have to admit, I was initially like, wait, what does it mean that the changeling in its goo form looks different than from what I remember from Deep Space Nine? What do they say? Is it a different this? Is it a different that? And then I was like, wait a minute. Emissary premiered January 1993. These are special effects done in 1992. Got it. We can have a better goo guy now. And we don't need to worry about the differences we could just say you know a la classic track and so forth we could just say they're doing the best goo effects they could do now they're doing the best goo effects that they could do then and um and and let there be peace uh back to the bar um in the present day picard uh, is asked about his other worst jam this being the worst jam ever um, it was of his Jack Crusher adventure. Pete, you might remember that he mentioned that back in two scenes ago. Um, he and Jack were getting into some trouble with some young women, or rather they were looking for some not trouble, whatever it is. Pete, it's mentioned that they were invited. Let's be clear on that. Uh, the young, young women, delightful and enthusiastic. Uh, but Picard, air quotes, borrowed a shuttle to get back to the planet to do what one does and... Uh, the way back to the ship so pete let's imagine in the middle there there was uh delightful and enthusiastic frivolity uh, a micro meteoroid uh, incident uh, wrecked the shuttle they were blind they were powerless they were they were uh, out of energy dead in the water uh, still they improvised a system swapping power from docking thrusters and life support back and forth back and forth 10 Bleeping hours it took these guys in sync solving the day to get home. And uh, some people upset that the Picard who used to swear in French occasionally on the TV show says the, the naughty word here as an 80-year-old Still guy.
1: that in In modern Star Trek that occasionally a sharp consonant can be used even though that was the big change for the movies 30 years ago. Matt,
0: Data said a bad word. Yeah. Uh, I am very much impressed. Pete, Pete, though I have no doubt Terry Madalus and Dave Blass listen to every podcast. Maybe they don't listen all the way through. The fact that they are on Twitter every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
1: It's an absolute credit. And, you know, Star Trek needs more creatives like them and good on them that they are not phased by the chuckleheads i think there's enough of us who are supportive of them filling their open nacelles with good vibes instead of oh my god why why do i do this for these people that respond in this way
0: all i can say is terry dave others look dms are open i still have the dm saved of when Somebody sent us uh, discovery behind the scenes pictures that have never seen the light of day, and the secret has not been shared outside of <laughs> myself and Pete and the person who sent them. So, come on, give a, I'm not saying I need a lot of BTS stuff, but let's have a convo, man. Um, with this whole story of Jack Crusher Sr. and Picard working together, saving the day. Shaw wanders in, uh, cane in hand. Um, reference about to be made that he still is kind of out of search of the pain meds, which I think is a great story reminder. Like, why is this captain, um, helping maybe not quarterback, but helping coach seven to find a changeling and now about to have a lengthy, really impressive scene here? Uh, it's because he still is unfit for duty, at least for story purposes. Uh, but Shaw overheard the last bit of the story. We want to hear another story? The first time he met Picard. 4402.3 USS Constance. Now, Pete, I immediately was like, wait, that's the very beginning of season four, because yeah. that's what the second four me. Oh, wait. Oh. This is not going to go well for Picard. I'll just point out, Pete, somebody on Twitter, and I don't remember whether it was a follower or whatever, so I- I'm cribbing, but I don't recall from who. Somebody pointed out, wait a minute, Liam Shaw okay the captain who had a tragic incident color how he how he uh, approaches the world now robert shaw who played the captain in jaws who had that you know yeah. uss indianapolis story they're like oh i get it now it's been there right in front of us uh i would agree pete oh pete what is the uss constance story the battle of the wolf 359 where 40 Federation
1: starships took on one Borg cube. Shaw was just an engineering grease monkey, but the next second, it was like space itself was burning. Really wonderfully done here with the sound design, the echoes, later the sirens, the screams, the laser sounds, even the overlay of the I am Locutus of Borg audio um, really puts it together rather than like, we will use flashback footage. You've got to let the dialogue. Dialogue is the fun part of of every script Um, and and being able to do that here and give Todd Stashwick these performance moments here um, that 50 of them made it to the never heard before life deck, which gets fleshed out in this episode. But there was just one pod with 10 seats. They were all friends. They were all his Jack Crusher. And they didn't fight. They waited for orders until some lieutenant started pointing and pointed at him, the survivor's guilt, here clearly evident he was just some guy from Chicago who became lucky number 10, not the lieutenant herself. He's told and ordered to get in, but wait, there must have been some sort of mistake. Jack, of course, is sorry for this, but Shaw explains 11,000 were killed. Uh, We hear their screams. And do you know where the old man was on that day? He was in the one Borg cube setting the world on fire. Um, That forget the stuff on the most recent stargazer, the real Borg, not the Jurati Queen Borg offshoot are still out there and have a name for him, Locutus. Um, the only one they've ever given a name. And Jack uh, says that this is enough, but Picard says it's okay, uh, and leaves through the arch, Jack chasing after, and the crew looks to their one-time captain here, but forgive him, at some point, a-hole became a substitute for charm.
0: We spoke on our discovery uh, podcast this past week, you know, reflecting on the cancellation and so forth. We spoke of concern that perhaps, uh, p- perhaps at the bean counter suit level uh, for Paramount, Paramount plus, whatever, you know, there's the concern don't get too, uh, you know, let's make sure our captains look a certain way that gets more clicks. Uh, and how we we want Star Trek to maintain its diversity. Conversely, if they are setting up a Captain Shaw of a Titan spin-off to to put on the colorblind glasses, the gender blind glasses, and so forth, um, these four episodes have, have given us an arc where Shaw could be yet another, you know, bad morale, yet another, you know, uh kind of babysitter captain who we don't like who's not our captain and really giving him depth and um personality and you know again i can i can question how my cake is made and then eat it too and and if that's where we're headed i think i'm ready for this character uh to happen this way i'm very much ready for this character to continue to be a part of the star trek landscape for years to come um but as you said, Pete, we have had uh, Picard step away. We've had Jack step away in the hall. Jack extends a bit of an olive branch um, to Picard, to his father. But Picard's ready to, to just to brush it off. No worries here. Uh, Crusher arrives. That's your doctor, Crusher, saying that there is a cycle, a countdown to the energy pulses, which are sufficiently lighting the set. Um, and the... The countdown, it's sort of like contractions, like heading towards a berth. What shall be born? Uh, she suspects that once whatever it is emerges, this ship will be destroyed quickly. But of course, they can't leave due to a lack of power. Jack says, wait a minute. Don't you see how the lights keep shining when these pulses come? Uh, sufficiently lighting the set. Maybe that light can power the ship. Uh, and they take that to Riker. Uh, who's then is going to add some metaphors here. If they can match the speed of the energy wave, ride that wave. I'm glad Pete, they didn't take it one step too far and say like a surfboard, Uh, but ride the wave and get out. Um, And uh, Jack says they could of course ride away from the space babies. It's like the far point aliens. We all remember it and others. Let's not forget the one with the Scotty episode too. Um, But of course we're back to this issue here to sufficiently Get the power ready to ride the wave it'll drain life support uh then there still is the issue of not being able to fly in the asteroid field since manual flying is a no-go so we're on our way but not quite there yet as we're about you know uh, it, firmly in the second half of the episode here
1: Riker, pouring cold water on it he knows the story too that uh picard has told jack About uh, piloting with his namesake, um, you know, when they were flying blind, but this isn't a two man shuttle. Take a lot of orchestration. And Starfleet protocol is that they await rescue, but Picard says no one's coming. We see the message to Deanna here um, and the reference by Riker something. To leave behind, and so many things could go wrong here. But Beverly turns Deanna back around. She would say it's about trust. And interestingly, Matt Riker did not know that. Uh, and she says they should do what they've spent their entire lives learning uh to do to be great at. Riker looks out on the bridge. Uh, through the uh, open observation lounge door. And Picard says if they're going to face the end, they should do it together. And then the point here that the nacelle covers are designed to prevent the plasma conduits from absorbing too much radiation uh, so they could be manually opened to channel energy from the wave to the warp core, and that could work. Let's get the hell out of here.
0: We have an exterior shot as the ship slowly comes to uh, to life. Riker does an all call, explaining that every ounce of power in the future, they're supposed to use yeah, metric. I think it's probably just a, an Alaskan colloquialism here. Um, every ounce of power will be used to try and save the day. It's a hell of a risk, and if anything knows uh, does go wrong, we will know pretty quick. Many of the crew don't know Riker, but like any captain, he knows something about you. He's only as effective as his crew is. And if we hang tight and work together, we'll get through this. Yeah, we're doing a Pete. We're doing a Star Trek here. In Shaw's quarters, uh, Picard is there now, uh, who needs to get help from Shaw, the self-professed uh, ling from Chicago. Um, the problem being, of course, that the young kids don't know how to blow the nacelle covers, you see. And a convenient story twist here, which I'm not really being sarcastic. I'm just saying, use your science fiction to give you tools that don't exist in real life. Yes, the ship has been majorly refit, but they didn't refit the the cell covers. Pete, they need an old grease monkey. Wait, that's what Shaw said he was like three scenes ago. Um, Really just wonderful setup, payoff across multiple scenes here. Shaw just needs five minutes. uh, And we just need about 10 seconds with Dr. Crusher who says... There's going to be one more boost and it's going to be a big one. Um, And then we're back with Shaw deep in the gears and the blinky blinks and the wires and so forth. Seven's helping him. Uh, It's noted that this would be a perfect place for the changeling to attack. You know, if we could make that happen. Uh, And seven sends a calm message to Riker who acknowledges setting unseen wheels in motion.
1: Yes. We do not hear the message um the exchange and Picard wants uh Jack on the bridge with uh Beverly Riker transfers all power to the thrusters and moves the crew to emergency safety zones uh the life deck is offline previously uh referenced for the USS Constance so apparently this is a thing Uh, they only have a few minutes left. He needs everybody to take a deep breath and hold it. Um, and then, uh, Shaw tells the bridge he needs a few more minutes to get the covers off. Uh, they're down to two minutes, he's told. Um, and that the Admiral is the only one who's had the experience flying blind, given the con here. The, the moment we've been waiting for where Picard's in the center chair, Riker, to his right, as we spent those years on the Enterprise together. And uh, Ensign LaForge is told uh, to take us home and uh, to be ready to receive the wave. Good luck, everyone. And Picard
0: says, engage titan starts to move and um uh work continues with uh getting those getting those uh nacelle covers open uh indeed there's also uh, energy being shunted to the thrusters and so forth so lots of action across the ship shaw on seven you better hurry up shaw pulls the last cord nacelle one is open repeat open uh side note pete i'm glad that the nacelle cover um Fixie thing uh for both nacelles is in the same room, it's kind of centrally located. It would really stink if they needed to go from like one side of the engineering deck to the other, because that would not be conducive to the story. Again, I might sound like I'm sarcastic. They're using fake sci-fi stuff to make the story go, which is part of the part of what you get when you do sci-fi. Um, Hansen steps away, seven steps away, uh, and suddenly Ensign LaForge steps in ready to help. You know, her father was a legend, you know um and and she's there to, to help she asked about the benefits of only one the cell being open like you could get enough power to kind of do a thing but not so much power that you could get away it kind of seems like a sweet spot if you're a bad person then all of a sudden seven brings a phaser to her face uh laforge was sent right commander commander what uh laforge or should i say faux forge says it's <laughs> commander hansen and seven shoots the changeling in the face because that's what you get for not knowing that in the last episode, she called her Commander 7.
1: You know, want to know why? Out of respect. Um, uh, Red eyes here on the Changeling when shot. Interesting, with the motif further established. Uh, But the Titan, uh, you know, now can move forward. Real LaForge has those thrusters still uh, powering up. And Riker asked Shaw about that other nacelle, which is now open for business. But we're not through the plot yet, because now there are multiple obstructions dead ahead. Sensors are down, and Picard has Jack take that role, uh, calling out the positions. They avoid one asteroid, then they hold off. A little longer to move around the other. We get the triumphant music as the thrusters now powered up to 98%. Nothing left to transfer. So Riker brings all power from life support, triggering warnings throughout the ship. And Taveen talks about the gravimetric detonation counting down that should have taken place before a flashing pulse and uh the power up that comes with it uh LaForge noting that they are in the wake and Picard telling her to gun it and then Team Titan Bridge takes over.
0: We talk so much about how one line can solve a solve a situation answer a question. Uh I'd like to propose that they are one line shy of answering a question, but they actually don't need it. As soon as they were like, turn off all life support, I was like, eh, no more gravity plates? They're going to show people floating somehow? And you know (laughs) what? The story, A, the story doesn't need it, and story rules, you know, story needs rule everything else. B, it probably would have taken us out of it to be like, you know, wait, now the people on the life deck are floating, but wait, now on the bridge, they need to go engage seatbelts. Like, It's a tangent to answer a question that okay, you want to sit and go oh well it's understood that the gravity plates require no energy like what like you could sci fi it away or you could just keep the pacing going that like we're at ninety eight percent we need the last little bit we're we're betting everything on the next hand of poker here we don't need to explain the lack of floating people Um, and indeed the countdown uh, happens for the wave three two one Uh, it blasts it's massive everyone sits back in their seats the lights come on a fully lit set and they're in the wave Uh, also the ship is being charged um they're able to gun it laforge is able to do so uh make sure you stay inside the wave exterior shot as we see the ship doing just that there's all sorts of tech talk overlapping um which is different than tiktok this is tech talk um the crew's getting it done we're gonna have warp drive in 90 seconds the nebula is changing um, oh, no, they're about to strike the Shrike. Uh, really quick, Riker ordnance. some coordinates to be, uh, or he gives some coordinates to the tractor beam. We see that the Titan is dragging an asteroid uh, behind it. Uh, the keel thrusters are cut. The beam is cut. Titan goes up. Uh, the asteroid smacking the heck out of the strike. that then goes spinning. The Titan flies past it. Strike end over end. Uh, the Shrike itself now is close to a meltdown. They will need an hour to get the core online. That's your story answer to the question. But will they come back and attack before the end of the episode? The answer is no. That's going to happen in perhaps another hour, but not this hour of Star Trek television.
1: Vatic burying her head in her hands there. Uh, LaForge notes that uh, out of the nebula here, uh, breaking up, thinking they'll be able to warp soon. And then we have the space baby squid uh, wonder moment, um, bathing the bridge in blue light, everybody getting reaction shot, Beverly saying the thing about seeking out new life and Riker thinking they need to boldly get the hell out of there to warp.
0: And indeed, they do warp away, having done some science on Star Trek. There you go. There's smiles all around. And Picard notes that you're only ever as good as those around you. The crew is a part of you. It completes you, you know, moments away from Jerry Maguire music here. Uh, they <laughs> lift you up. They accomplish you to do the things you could do alone. Uh, as we uh, hear Picard flashing back or what we flash back to Picard on that day in the real 10 forward turns out Pete it wasn't just cadets heartstrings here okay a young jack crusher uh, had been listening in so just for reference Pete the jack crusher there sitting in a hat um is I meant to him be in my like...
1: notes chap and cap
0: <laughs> chap and cap yeah so just for reference since this is 5 years ago that means that he's 17 or 18 okay but um he's
1: wearing a ball cap like the cool kids do so we we know that he's he's younger Never,
0: Dad. I'm gonna wear my hat in the in the bar. I'm allowed to looks, do it, Dad.
1: Looks all of his then 29 years playing someone even younger than that.
0: Um, quick unnecessary tangent here, Pete. I don't know if the alcohol drinking laws are the same. In the 24th century, but if he's 17, he might not even be allowed to be in that bar. It was Maybe
1: a Hall Shirley Temple.
0: Okay, there you go. Or Sasperilla. Um, Regardless, regardless, um, the cadets ask about Picard's life outside of Starfleet. A real family, perhaps. Pete, we know his son is watching. His son knows his son is watching. Picard says that Starfleet... Or he
1: has... asked, did you have a real Yes. I think that's important. And all of this, you know, th- this episode in particular, the longest yet of the third season, so tremendously edited on top of the great direction by Frakes, the the voiceovers, what were shown at the time, the two-tier uh, timeline five years ago, and now, well, young man, Starfleet has been the only family he ever needed. Cue Ugh. the five years ago applause and suddenly Chap and Cap at the bar is gone. Picard possibly realizing that five years ago he met his son who never reached out for him, but really did. And all of the unfortunateness that's come from that
0: i would love to know was it scripted picard looks at the camera with a curious look in his face was that something in the edit where they go wait there's that there's that three seconds where patrick looks at the camera while we're still running and you know somebody's giving direction that can be an ambiguous thing like it never needs to be answered it's see that's
1: that's the thing that's the antithesis of well, we've talked about before you know that you you don't need to hear tell us and i knew the whole time i will tell you now that i knew it was you five years ago i hate you son
0: um in the present day um again perhaps picard is realizing things perhaps not i just love the emotional ambiguity there Riker in the conference room reflects again on having run away to not be part of the problem and that that was the problem. Uh, He's now on a video call with Deanna and uh, he notes that something is different. Now we've witnessed Mm. a kind of birth. We've witnessed kind of birth in the stars. There's a whole universe out there. He should have said things like this before he's going to fix it. Um,
1: Uh, But he doesn't have the words yet. Mm. uh, Hmm
0: uh, oh, uh, oh, Pete, um as for if they're in trouble, he doesn't know yet, which maybe is only adding to your implied point here, um, but Pete, as we finish up this story arc of Picard, I feel like we we need a good old kind of we need a bow here, and it's Picard's log who says we escape death from an unknown enemy, uh who is Vadic? What does she want with Picard's son? These things will be find out uh you know will be found out, presumably in the next six episodes. And then hopefully that's the happy ending, right, Pete?
1: Well, uh, Terry Manilus and crew decide they're going to serve us a piece of cheesecake here because Jack is washing up uh, and then has, like he did when he was under the sway of the poison gas, the vision here uh, we can make out that he has told in what sounds like Vattic's voice and then Gooface boss, uh, find me, we'll be together soon, red visions here, much like the red eyes of the changeling when killed, and then a conspicuous door opening.
0: we have an incoming threat analysis. Uh, let's start at the top of the uh, observation room screen here, talking about the uh, bad changelings. The one there, but the
1: multiple forms taken on. We have the crew member that regenerates the arm and then moves into the uh, Jeffrey's tube. And then, of course, Faux LaForge there. Uh, the faces of friends turned enemies. The idea of, you know, assuming the form of somebody else, a long-trafficked sci-fi trope, but, you know, Star Trek as a real granddaddy of them all, but using it to maximum efficiency.
0: And I would say as well, as much as I really liked my... Um conspiracy parasite bug theory from you know earlier in the season and as as kind as you were pete to say well it could be a it could be an alliance of the baddies and maybe they come back in the second half um this episode really does show why the changelings are such a great uh, threat regarding kind of how they're used in the story um that easy ability to transfer not from one person to the next, but to appear as one person to the next, to grow back a limb quickly, to gooify and head through the cracks and quickly disappear, even though Seven probably could have fired at it a little bit quicker, but, you know, hey, story. Um, You're not getting those things with, you know, oh, wait, you blasted off my arm. Now the parasite bug will come out and go to someone else. Like, we're able to zip along here with those changelings. Yeah, and
1: the thing, to the drama of... Shaw in a vulnerable position there and Seven coming to his rescue with this, the plan of baiting it his and her with the follow through. This is how you build character relationships from rocky beginnings. So, you know, all good stuff.
0: We also have uh, Vatic, of course, as a you know sort of intermediary threat in the episode. Also, the reveal—you know—we'll talk momentarily that Vatic is not top of the chain of command here. Um, again, I'm still like, okay, fine. She's got some changeling stuff to her, but I'm—I still have questions as to how changeling is she, 100% changeling, etc. But I know this, Pete. She is a threatening force in this episode
1: we we know so little about amanda plummer's character through these first four episodes the mannerisms what she's got in her arsenal here uh but best dribbled out throughout the season rather than all at once
0: well dribbling out slowly is the changeling goo face boss um and Again, sort of backtracking here. Clearly, it's a changeling boss because we see it in this weird way of that the changelings are communicating, which maybe is more difficult than just yeah you know, your classic voice to voice comms. But sci-fi got to show that it's 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 more changelings on up the uh, on up the chain of command there.
1: It's visceral. It's an awesome effect. It's new, so I don't know, Matt. There's been passage of time with the Changelings. This rebel offshoot from the Great Link couldn't have found another way to communicate? Like, come on. I I don't get the uproar about it. And it's for the better. But, of course, you know, it's not in the, the glowing, smooth goo, so cue outrage.
0: Let's set those long-range sensors to look for theories, and, and Pete, not to do my own Star Trek rerun here. If we get to the end of this season and Vadic has been phasered away or put into a jar and brought to the Daystrom uh, prison for uh, dangerous AIs and goo people or whatever, and it's just clear, you know, the Vadic arc is over. It, and if we have reached the end of her arc and have not learned more about why she doesn't act like all the other changelings that we've seen um then i will be disappointed in the interim she doesn't act like the other changelings that we've seen um i'd like i'd like more on that why is she the marked woman um why are you having amanda Plummer sit in the makeup chair if not for some sort of denouement or reveal or whatever it might be uh in the future perhaps it you know perhaps it speaks to more complexity Now that we've had it revealed that she is not the tip top baddie and that there's a new, you know, chief baddie out there.
1: That's the thing that she's subservient to somebody else. And Terry Madalus has promised that, you know, she has uh, a nature that we can identify with, that we're going to empathize with her. Uh, so to to do that at this point, you establish her first as a threat, and now you build in the humanity of that. What What is the bigger scale of this changeling plot, hence um, the the changeling on the Titan? We, we saw that uh, Ensign Foster in the lineup there as Picard and Riker boarded the ship with the suspicious look was that the same person that was in the bar with the the fat one model into the drink There metaphor again uh or you know more changelings involved still remains to be seen but speaking of changelings matt and all the talk in this episode about what they would know, what they wouldn't. That acting Captain Riker has such a hard time recording this message that later uh, is contacted by Seven, and we don't see that exchange. And yes, there is the uh, explanation later. He was told not to send anyone, and then uh, faux LaForge showed up. That's your bait, okay? Um, But then that he tells Deanna that something is different now and he doesn't quite have the words yet, I think the changeling theory for Riker is still very much alive. I'm not going to give you the episode title, but there's a super conspicuous episode title coming. Uh, and also uh, a a scene down the road that they've shown some clips of that might support this. But all I'm going to do is reference Stardate 2017 with our aforementioned Star Trek Discovery and that it took your boy here uh, one episode of Ash Tyler to float the theory that he was Klingon
0: when you arrange all the pieces like that, it now has me very, very concerned for the real commander Riker. Um, and and I think maybe an even larger concern is, um, what if there are all these clues and like, Nope, that's actually the, like, Hey, good, good clues there. Just Nope. That's not in the direction we went at all. Um, so I will, which is
1: fine too, because you know, these shows are made to be, Talked about, and that's clearly why you're listening right now, and we're having this discussion. So you can do the fake out too, and it's not for naught.
0: I will say it, you know, not knowing how the remaining six episodes go, not knowing when, you know, only having the briefest sense of like, we're clearly going to defeat the changeling threat by the end of the season, and there's going to be some sort of ultimate, you know, end, like the 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 tng crew will come together we know that from the footage we've seen and you know there's going to be some sort of montage at the end of people moving on whatever it might be fine so be it um do i sense at this point that like searching for more changelings that might be everywhere that that's going to be what we do for the next six episodes eh, that feels a little threadbare to do that so to sit and say There's actually going to be an interim reveal, which is, you know, secret Riker reveal. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there and plenty of story time to do it as well. So I think that's, uh, that's a super heads up theory. I get that
1: Shaw was injured and he's been treated. But, you know, if you're not put in a body bag, everybody else has left sick bay. All right. And we did the thing and you're better. Why is the dude still rocking a
0: cane? I think the dude is rocking a cane because as they were prepping for this episode, they're like, why is he not like captain again? Oh, uh, there's the, there's the line in there about how he's got meds in him. So he's going to give his, you know, jaws, USS Indianapolis speech. Okay. Um, are people going to remember that the entire time? Uh, let's give him a cane right that's the visual clue that he's unwell um he's gonna be out of uniform with or like you know the jacket off with a cane and then in the middle of the episode he's gonna say maybe it's just all the pain meds talking but um so i think that's just an outgrowth out of story need because i mean generally pete i would agree with you that it's star trek you wave some shiny lights and everybody's all better Um, But that's not what the story needs, so he needs to still be down for the count, mumble, mumble, somehow, okay, concussion protocol, I guess, uh, and the cane is the visual representation of that.
1: Uh, The Herogian arrived in the Alpha Quadrant at some point when Picard and Worf were serving together, Admiral Janeway is referenced, will she tell us how it happened?
0: um maybe she will in uh prodigy i know that <laughs> i mean look matalus has said get really excited for a bunch of great cameos and then people were like "It's got to be janeway cause he's like actually no it's not janeway she's just a prodigy prodigy loves her right now don't don't really 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 don't think of janeway so i'll take him at his word there i'm also thinking pete something you had pointed out last week how uh you know the Kurtzman leadership bunch have had these showrunner summits um you know I was thinking in this episode all right we need to somehow charge the ship and get through the asteroid field I'm like I know how they did that on lower decks that way it wasn't a charge the ship type thing but they had to get rid of the, the deck plates and you know all of that stuff so I could I could see how there's discussions like that like I do the deck plates you do the nacelle charge okay got it um that said you know the promise of uh there's going to be all these crossovers just you wait just you wait it's fine if the crossovers overall it's fine if the crossovers consist of tom paris has a an animated cameo on lower decks and then there's going to be the really fun lower decks crossover two strange new worlds in season two um that's all well and good you know that said, are some of the other crossovers like we mentioned, Janeway in a post-Voyager returns pre-Nemesis era? Are we ever going to get to see those things? Um, is the dream of crossovers is that fading with Streamer Slim down? Um, so all these things come to mind just because they you know mentioned an unseen Herogen Janeway Picard Enterprise adventure.
1: The news this week: Voyager adjacent that. Robert Beltran, Chakotay, was offered uh, at least one episode in season two of Picard, as many as two, but turned it down because he did not like the vision of the character, but of course, because Prodigy portrays him in a way that he identifies with, he took that up to voice the character. Robert Beltran... Uh, not uh, somebody really popular with this podcasting
0: duo. Um, yeah, he's the only Star Trek convention talk that I've seen where I've walked away saying, um, that guy might not be from Chicago, but he's a blank, just like uh, Captain <laughs> Shaw. Um,
1: this, look- is, this is not uh, a condemnation of people from uh chicago so so please i've Indeed. uh yeah the, the, we we support chicago and well the...
0: gardner you're fantastic yeah, yeah um but yeah and look i understand how here he was in an upward trajectory in the in the mid 90s then he gets second lead on a show and then after they retool it in the fourth season he's now Did you just slight him from Night of the Comet in the 1980s? Look, I'm saying upward trajectory. Okay, (laughs) I remember him being cast member of the short-lived Models Inc. uh, itself, a Melrose Place spinoff on uh, the Fox Network. What I'm saying is, he got cast. He was a cast member for a season in a network show. The show gets canceled, bounces around doing some more guest stuff. A couple years later, he's number two on what will be, uh, you know, what 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 would be. For a period of time the the second concurrent star trek tv series would go on to be for a period of time the only star trek show on you know in the latter seasons of voyager post deep space nine and all that so i get that he's a little salty all these years later he was number two lead seven comes along we're interested in other stories he kind of falls down the rung in terms of the, the love the show is giving him but the big asterisk is this. Or, I didn't like what they did with Chakotay. It takes other people. You know, when they ask, whether it's Madelis or somebody else, yeah, wh- wh- what did you do to Chakotay? Oh, Pete, he would have been mirror Chakotay, married to, Cat, to, to President Hansen. Um, So of course he, you know, he was the bad Chakotay, just the way Picard played a version of bad Picard in the mirror universe and ditto for, you know, seven had to pretend to be the real, but you know, bubble blah, 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 for all of this stuff. So I don't know why he would not jump at that to mustache like, yeah. twirl. Like, come on. We all would look. Robert Beltran is a jerk. Chakotay is not a jerk. I would have loved to see an episode or two more of Chakotay and to, of he bad Chakotay. Jerk.
1: Like the acting, opportunity that that is like come on you and you know with how they're pushing it now with with uh people chafing Matt at the use of an f word on streaming (gasps) gasp uh clutching my my pearls here uh you know networks that uh You know, he wouldn't have been able to push the bounds of that. I I guess he's really protective of that character.
0: The same guy which which the the same guy who at when we saw him at a convention, was it for Star Trek three he tried out? He he tried out for a Star Trek movie and Leonard Nimoy was there. So it was either one of the two Nimoy directed ones or or might have been Star Trek six. And after the audition he, he knows they're on the other side of the glass. You know, like They're in the glassed-in porch, and he's in the yard. So he's like, F this, and F that, and F them, and then realizes that it's not a glassed-in porch, it's a screen porch. Like My point being this. Everybody has their dark side. Actors have their dark side. He had a temper tantrum in front of Leonard Nimoy and didn't get a part in a Star Trek movie. Still bounced back, et cetera, et cetera. Can you imagine him there as the, the sleaziest, slimiest Chakotay first gentleman? You can even add to it, like... I think we are all cool with the fact that 25th Century Seven, uh, is solely attracted or more attracted to women and and so forth. Fine to sit in the delicious contrast there of like evil Chakotay is putting his hands on you know our Seven who doesn't like men anymore. Like there, I'm I'm not saying like that's a necessarily a source that you should have a source of conflict you should have in all TV shows, but I'm saying it would have worked so well if he wanted to play evil Chakotay here, but apparently Beltran is busy doing other stuff and can't 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 play the best version of evil Chakotay that there ever was
1: what a missed opportunity on his behalf um not so much a theory but just pointing out and you know with uh the design of the show and the nostalgia to the films the old-timey movie style hand phaser that uh seven brandishes
0: yeah, I mean, there's always there's always this discussion that Star Trek has with itself, what is future-looking versus what is recognizable to the audience, let alone recognizable as Star Trek. You need only look so far as TNG season 1 with the the type 1 phasers that they re- they only realized, while, you know, after they started to complete episodes like, "Oh, those phasers are so small," and some people are watching, you know, on standard size TVs in the 1980s. Um it looks that right, it looks like Riker could just hold up and his fingers are pinched together and phasers shoot out of his fingers because you can't see the phaser because it's so small, etc. Um so I'll take a phaser pistol any day versus a hand phaser. I think it just I I love the Dustbuster TNG era type two phaser. Um I may have even occasionally on Instagram see like, oh, there are these people who make them and I don't think I've ever even clicked to see how much they cost. Probably more than I want to spend on an actual light-up handmade thing. But it's a very cool design. But when you need to know it's a space gun, make it look like a space gun, that's what Gene did.
1: The name that uh, Picard says he would have also named Jack uh, for his fallen friend. I want to propose,
0: Matt, that it would be Jacques Crusher? <laughs> um I don't know if you're saying that tongue in cheek or not. I think I really bought the emotionality of it that that if he and Beverly if he knew that he and Beverly had a son that they would name it after uh Jack Crusher, name the boy after Jack Crusher, who meant so much to Beverly and so much to Jean-Luc Picard and all of that. Um so emotionally it hit. And not for nothing. When in London he can be Jack and when in Paris, he can be Jacques. How about that? Should
1: we take anything more away from Shaw saying to forget about what happened on the Stargazer last season, that the real Borg are still out there? Could they be involved in following the branches, finding Vatik? soon? They'll be together.
0: I think that's good story detective work. So th- th- there's there's two things in your statement. First of all, forget the ones last season. I have to admit, Pete, when he said that, and I know that Terry Madellis was a co-showrunner last season. It's not like Terry Madellis just showed up out of the blue and is like, "I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do Star Trek." Oh look, uh, you know. Luminous uh, author Michael Chabon, he's gone. And uh, Oscar winner Akiva Goldsman, he's gone and do my own Star Trek now. You know, he's been around. But my immediate response was, oh, don't worry. I did forget about last season because I'm enjoying this way more than last season. Maybe that's an unfair zing of me to say, but Pete, I'm also speaking the truth here. Second, him saying there's, a re- there's the real Borg out there. Is that set up? Here's my initial reaction. Can we do a TNG major thing that doesn't need to involve the borg like i feel like we're, we run the risk of it being jaws Four territory here like best of both worlds the best then borg plus lore later you know in tng's run uh in fact as i recall the last you know the last uh to be continued from one season to the next was like lore plus the borg and it's like okay and then the voyager and then they show up in enterprise as a flashback or time loop or whatever that junk was um, we had our fun with Borg stuff last season, um, certainly, and I would say in the right dose. Are we going to get the 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 new Borg, not cube but pyramid, the new Borg octagon? Like, I feel like I feel like we're good to go. The notion <laughs> done all of the
1: shapes were done
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, um,
1: I mean, we do have lore coming, and and we know that uh, the book card borg link has always since established been you know so tantalizing to pursue uh i would be fine with some more borg lore or to lore bringing us some more borg
0: um i would feel slightly better if it's the borg gets us to lore or lore gets us to the borg I do, I do think my gut tells me in six so episodes... So you proposing a
1: smorgasbord?
0: <laughs> well done, Pete. I, I would just propose in six episodes, if we're going to spend some or all of the last episode really having our, our final goodbyes here, uh, that then brings the total down to closer to five episodes of actual kind of mid, mid-story conflict. I feel like we're still getting the whole crew together. We still have to introduce lore somehow so that we can get the whole, you know, crew. When I say crew, I mean actors, because I know he's playing, you know, Spiner's playing lore, not data. Um, we still have that to do. We now have changeling main boss to deal with. How deep is the changeling threat? What's the real attack if the tunneling attack on the recruiting center wasn't the real attack and all that? I feel like we have enough story where we don't need to say, and then now there's a Borg fleet coming in. Um I feel like the cup is full. Certainly time will tell. With that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies.
2: Hailing Frequencies open, sir.
0: We go to Twitter, Pete, where I didn't want to do a 4-3-2-1, okay? It was, the question was, who won the week? Okay, your choice from top to bottom. Or how about from least to greatest Pete astonishingly from least to greatest who won the week? Was it Picard? He got 16.1%. Was it Riker? He got 19.4%. Was it seven who got 29% uh, or indeed the winner, perhaps not majority, but the winner overall Shaw who got 35.5% Uh, this on the Shaw uh, recovery journey here. Uh, and Pete, I just noticed this morning, um, I don't know whether the person follows us on Twitter, if we follow them or whatever, but uh, somebody else had a very similar poll to this. Uh, So I guess great minds think alike. Some replies here on Twitter, James the sagacious big kiln on Twitter says Shaw had the edge for me. His engine room scenes with seven were amazing. However, the real winner is the writing room. Letting the bar scenes past and present play off each other was worthy of a cue plot. The look on his face tells me he knows Beverly was right. We are from Brett Desmo Williams. It's at BW Desmo, who says, "What a great episode! I think Shaw, Riker, and Picard all had strong moments. But overall, Riker ruled the episode. Uh, The swingers, like VM, in comparison uh, to his son's coffin drop, throwing a rock uh, at the Shrike. I mean, come on." Next tweet here, Pete comes from J T Atkins. J T A is me. Vadik nearly cries havoc. The Mutara Nebula theme returns again at 47 minutes and 40 seconds. 47. Uh, we get tender character moments, riveting tension, bombastic space drama, and space babies having a blast. And I don't know where we're headed. Thank you, at Terry Madalis and company. Next, we are from Spiderham Lincoln, Tess lc 139 Okay, so I've been more satisfied with season three. Some thoughts. Okay, so Riker's, Riker's not a changeling. Would have been cooler if he was. What? Uh Yeah. Or dot, dot, dot. Uh, The Picard-Riker conversation at the beginning of the episode was absolutely necessary, although I still thought that Riker's You've Just Killed Us All was extremely unbecoming. Pete, let's talk about that for a second. I'm willing to filter the power of Riker's comment at the end of last episode through the fact that they needed an end-of-episode oomph. I also would further say, in my opinion, that was not a conversation that those two characters should have had in front of a Junior bridge crew who did not know them, but the two men had a fight in the family and words were said, and words and, should not and have been said.
1: Gene is dead and conflict is you know <laughs> now allowed, which yeah. makes Star Trek better. You know, Gene birthed this, uh, and he was right on a lot of things, but he was wrong about conflict. But it also allows these two branches, you know, one potentially summed up here. Oh, I apologize. I was wrong. Or, um, yeah, why can't I write to my wife? Because I'm not really her husband.
0: Back to Spider-Ham Lincoln here. Vatic severed. Hand goo com system was weird. Who's the bigger baddie in the shadows? Love the scientific solution and teamwork that got them out of the jellyfish nursery, especially seven working with that dip S from Chicago. Speaking of Shaw, his Wolf three, five, nine PTSD is some serious survivors guilt, but Cisco ultimately handled it better. And he lost a wife. It looks like the last half of the series will focus on the larger mystery and villainous motives connected to Jack. What or who is behind the red door? Cue the ominous laughter. I'm still holding out. Hope for the conspiracy bugs. And I really miss the Worf and Rafi show today. Uh, Pete, I love that Spider-Ham Lincoln is still with me holding out hope on the conspiracy bugs. I Last... think
1: we all are. Um, I think we'd love to see that. And I think we also miss the Rafi and uh, Seven show this week.
0: Last messages here come from at Jackie Wolf, who has changed her... You have to use your at name and then use your, like, your other name. She's changed her name, which is Jackie Wolf, to Jackie Wolf 359. <laughs> um, she that's... just
1: triggered Captain Shaw hard. There you
0: go. Um, I really appreciated the scene with Shaw in the holodeck. Traumatic events in a character's life are often portrayed in a flashback. But, but to portray them in a way that is more organic to how trauma is actually experienced was truly powerful. I also think that the scenes serve to tell uh, the audience that Shaw is not beyond redemption. Pair that with dedicating the entire show to just the Titan and focusing so heavily on the bridge crew. I think we're gearing up for a Titan spinoff. I also happened to notice that the uh, Star Trek on P plus Insta page put out a post making sure that we know all the names and rank of the Titan bridge crew. Pete, I would agree with all of that. I will just point out, I don't mean to throw cold water on Jackie Wolf's observation here, Uh in the discovery episodes with that are finally on the Enterprise, I remember one of the ladies who plays Yeah. Yeah. Somebody at the one of the whether it's science or the it wouldn't be science at the control panel or whatever, she lobbied heavily, like my character, I am the new Rand, I am this, I am that. Uh, Lobbying heavily to be part of the new show and we never heard from her again.
1: What a bummer. Yeah,
0: and and you'd hope that maybe further
1: into the run, they could do that. Um, you know, when you finish Picard on Paramount Plus, it times out if you let it go, and then it defaults to uh, Strange New World. So I've been rewatching some of those afterward, and you know that that's going to be the next live action show uh, we'll see. You would hope that maybe they could do that. So don't read too much into, Oh, Taveen and Murrah and you know, all these future household names because, uh, the bean counters, Matt, what they got to get theirs.
0: Pete to the email inbox. We go where we hear from, uh, Stacy who says, good morning, Matt and Pete. First of all, I want to say that I voted for seven in your Twitter poll, but I think Beverly won the week. Her figuring okay, out what was Pete. going on, uh, with the not a nebulas would save them. Pete, stacy is 100 percent correct there you go uh stacy goes on to say i really like this episode and i have to say while i was initially disappointed that there were more flashbacks i think the way they wrapped it up in the end paid off poor jack hearing from his father that he didn't need or want a family but i think that was picard bravado pretending he didn't need what he believed he'd never have oh then Riker telling what he feels what it's like to bury a child what it did to him and deanna you talked about this in your coverage of some discovery episodes how people say, show, don't tell. But sometimes a character telling their story without the visuals is more important. Mm-hmm. Riker says he didn't feel anything, and that isn't true. He clearly feels he doesn't express it. Frakes killed it here. Pete, I'll pause her words, and I will say, yes, I would agree that probably, that that in other circumstances, we have said, I have said, don't have somebody describe it, go actually film it. I would say, weirdly tied perfectly to Jackie Wolf's tweet here i think there is something to be said to say we are going to show you the acting show you the emotion of this person flashing shaw back to do. it yeah Shaw, don't tell yeah shaw don't tell there you go back to stacy uh shaw is definitely growing on me he's prickly but he's willing to listen when presented with new information uh and kind of sort of tells seven he was wrong about her he owns his crap uh, and turns out he has a good reason to be prickly. He could do with some therapy for that PTSD. But now we know why he has been the way he is towards Picard. Him talking about Wolf 359 is another example of when telling is better than showing his face, his voice, with what he hears in his head in the background. Well done. Stacy goes on to say, uh, All Papa Picard taking his son to his favorite bar. Love the continuing thread of shade towards Chateau Picard wine. And the continued jokes about John Luke's hair. Lack of, I mean. I remember an interview Patrick Stewart did in the early days of TNG. He was surprised people talked so much about his baldness, and now he's making jokes about it. Oh, well, there's a reason behind Jack's uh, name. Any other questions about Jack on our bingo card? What the what? Vada cut her hand off to communicate with whom? This gets weirder and weirder. And I don't think I noticed before, but the design of the inside of the strike is even cooler than the outside. Pete, I'll pause her words for a moment to say, it occurred to me when I last viewed the episode, I wondered if they took the consoles from, the, like the science station consoles, the big ones on the Titan Bridge, and just, I, I wondered if they if they were being used as the strike consoles in some capacity. Maybe it's even a heavy redress or something. I don't know, yeah. but
1: I I don't know, but you know it's a com station slash it, there was a ritualistic element to it. Yeah. It was like a plate or a altar, if you will. Um, either way, whatever space they're utilizing, you know, did, did they wrath of con this that, you know, th- they were never in the, in the same spot, uh, but use the, the same space, it's possible. Um, you know they've not spoken out on that just yet.
0: Back to Stacy we go. The last third of this episode was me just enjoying the little moments as they all work together. As you may remember from my comments on Discovery, a good team working well together is one of my favorite tropes. Ooh, our not a nebula is having a baby. Oh, I like Beverly, Jean Luc, and Jack working together. Bob's your uncle. And Beverly with the pep talk. And there's Riker adding his part. Good teamwork. Love Picard speaking to Shaw in his vernacular. Uh, also, everyone take a deep breath. Hold it if you can. I like this because Riker is making a joke about holding your breath, but also acknowledging that everyone may, may not be able to do that. And then giving Picard control of the con. Wow, this scene navigating around the asteroids is so good. Heaviest order. Helm transfer all power from life support. I sure hope they succeed. Laforge gun it. They threw an asteroid at Vatic. Babies. Baby, what I don't know. Uh, baby, baby, what I don't know, but baby nonetheless to seek out new life. I'm glad the rift between Deanna and Will is on the way to resolution. Riker recognizing that he has work to do on himself is great to see. Oh no, is Jack a sleeper agent of some kind? They've got me hooked, and I cannot wait to see where this goes. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy, aka Stingray, AK Trek Girl88 on Twitter.
1: I think Stacy points out a fine line between this show being overwritten and being written just right. With those moments, utilizing the flashback to the present
0: day. Last email he uh, here, Pete, comes from Josephine Avalos, who says hello again. Hopefully, this email makes it to y'all before it's too late. Pete, uh, she said it's Saturday night. You get it in before Sunday, before Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. You're always good to go. Um, what stood out to me was all the storytelling that occurred. We had the junior Starfleet members asking Picard about his experience, Picard sharing who Jack's father was to him. Side note, they addressed the elephant in the room with hair loss and why the name Jack. I like how the writers have anticipated viewers' questions and, and are answering them in the following episodes, sort of giving the viewer a sense of uh, personal connection with the characters and to what they're thinking too. Anyway, we get more veteran stories from Captain Liam Shaw about PTSD on survivor Survivor's Guilt. This episode reminds me of our modern relationships with our elder veterans. There are no more World War I veterans, and now we are losing the last of the World War II veterans. Many of us who have deployed have some survivor's guilt upon return, myself included. Hopefully we get more passing of the torch to our younger characters, so we can get more Trek since we're losing Discovery. Speaking of Discovery, as you know, I just started my journey with Discovery last year. I binge-watched the series and was left with excitement just to find just to find it's being canceled. Ugh, my heartstrings. That series was our catalyst for putting Trek back on TV. They better give it a good ending. I found your podcast because of that show, and I'm very grateful to have an outlet to continue the journey past Discovery. Have you guys ever been on the Star Trek cruise? Thinking about going on it solo next year, it'll be my first time. And I'll leave you, uh, and with that, I'll leave you with my last word. I think we should boldly get the hell out of here. Semper (laughs) Fi, that from Josephina, Pete.
1: Well, again, thank you for your service, and sorry to hear josephina that you've you've had some survivors guild. i I think you know the members of our armed services don't get enough support and and hopefully that's you know being addressed for you um not been on the star trek cruise obviously the last couple years have been daunting i i know you know there's a lot of coverage of, of this year's maybe at some point
0: with that pete let's hear from admiral fred in the netherlands whose voice we hear now via holographic connection
2: hello matt and pete and all listeners to fantastic geek this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for star trek Picard season three episode four Apart from the episode, I also watched The Ready Room with Will Wheaton. And this time he had as guest Todd Stashwick, who plays Captain Liam Shaw. And really nice to see the actor behind his captain. And it makes him immediately a little bit more likable. And I think it will be a turning point this episode for his role. But we will see. The space dwelling creature forming a nebula and giving birth to a lot of little cute looking space creatures was a bit too much for me. Especially the big round eyes. Why? Why eyes? Actually, I can't imagine that such space creatures have classical, human-like, mammal like eyes. I think you can use a lot of other senses in the darkness of space. And actually that is what we also see in very deep sea creatures and actually the scientific consultant for Star Trek who has also a little interview in the ready room is talking about that. On the other hand it is of course a nice reference back to Encounter at Farpoint the very first Next Generation episode. First I thought the scenes with Picard in the lunchroom and having the cadets asking him questions was a bit tiresome. But then at the end we get of course the clue here that Jack Crusher was also there. But I really wonder if this is a flashback of Jack or a flashback of Jean-Luc or it's just a scene for us. So does Jean-Luc Picard remember this and remember Jack actually? That didn't become quite clear to me. Of course everybody thought, what the heck, in an energy lockdown going to the holodeck? Well fortunately they explained it, but it was a little cheap. Nevertheless it gave a very nice uh, interaction between Jean-Luc and Jack. And eventually with Captain Shaw. I would give the episode a straight A. But because of the big-eyed space-dwelling creatures, I have to subtract something, and it would be an A-minus. Okay, greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands.
0: Pete, Fred does bring up an interesting point here. Whose flashback is it? Uh, I would argue that ultimately it's, it's a narrative flashback given for us yeah um it's not necessarily being quote unquote i mean picard is narrating his tale his tales of old but i think it's it's not a it's not that picard is remembering back it's not that jack is remembering back it's we are seeing back um but i think he kind of rightly is iding that that emotional topic of who remembers what
1: the ambiguity that we would not know but that they were both in that scene um for those intents and purposes
0: Pete, ten forward a place for the crew to gather around, and our thanks that the crew of the Fantastic Geek gathers around at patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, making sure that we have enough, enough warp coil uh, coolant to always get out of nebulas, which sometimes are also stellar nurseries.
1: Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Unable to contribute right now, get yourself to Apple
0: Podcasts where you can leave us a rating or a review that helps us equally. Pete, let's certainly keep the Star Trek comms open. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E
1: R J K L R K E T E L A A R.
0: 12,802 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, is looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Also, want to mention the listener line. You can text or leave a voicemail at 732 707 1815. Pete, how else can people be in touch? Facebook.com slash fantasticgeek with the PH,
1: all one word, like it today.
0: Pete, barring some sort of, you know, something else gets canceled or other major. Uh, pop culture news particularly in the marvel star trek star wars uh region of things we will be back next star wars saturday to talk the next chapter of the mandalorian and next star trek sunday to talk the next part of picard neither of which are episodes they're parts or chapters because it's the future or the star wars past regardless pete with that i will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word this is the end
1: my friend